The scriptures for us this morning are found in Matthew chapter 8. We read from verse 18 of Matthew chapter 8. And this is what the word of the Lord says. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. I want to repeat those words because these are the words that form the burden for my message this morning. He gave orders. This was not going to be a fishing trip. This was not going to be a pleasure trip. He gave orders. He's going to get to the other side of the lake. And you'll see why in just a moment. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Was Jesus so poor that he could not afford a cushion? That's how I've always understood that verse. He had a cushion in the boat, didn't he? He's saying to this man, are you willing to accept my headship? Can I place my headship over your life, my authority over your life? He wanted comfort. Jesus was interested in discipleship. Big difference. Another disciple, well, the other one was a scribe, now comes a disciple, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the bed, dead bury their dead. Now, Jewish funerals take up to a year to complete. And this guy wanted inheritance, money. His father is probably still alive. So he says to Jesus, I'll go with you, but first this. No, no, first the kingdom of God. And so we don't hear of him again. Then the story continues, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came over the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. I tell you, that gripped me this week. But Jesus was sleeping. Sleeping in the sure knowledge of his Father's love. Unfortunately, we won't have time to go into those verses or words. The disciples went to him and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? But even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side, ah, oh, listen to those words again. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadareans, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs with him or met him. Mark and Luke tell us only of one, but Matthew says there were two. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demon possessed, or the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. 
Those tending the pigs ran off into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Amazing, amazing democratic decision, which I don't think was a good one. The title this day for the sermon is The Bible, Missions, and You. The Bible, Missions, and Us. I think it was David Livingston who said, God had only one son, and he made him a missionary. And no matter where you walk and talk and live your life as a Christian, you are in Christ's classroom. You are his disciple. You are his apprentice. You are his personal work of grace. He's making you into a missionary, an ambassador of his kingdom, no matter where you are. In fact, this building has turned into Christ's classroom this morning because he wants to increase your faith and increase your desire and ensure that you are going to the place where he wants you to be and to go, to where he wants you to invest your prayers, where he wants you to invest your money, where he wants to invest your life. There's somewhere where he wants you to go and to be. He wants to disciple you. And so whether you're flying in an airbus overnight to Europe, when you, whether you're crossing the town of Cape Town or the city of Cape Town by a city bus, or whether you're in a queue in the traffic, whether you're in a bedroom or at work or even in hospital, you are in Christ's classroom. Because you see, Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle, the one who was sent by the Father. And Jesus said, just as I've been sent, I so therefore send you. He's our apostle. He's our missionary par excellence. He's the one who came with the Father's grace and love to save us from our sins and to give us the gift of eternal life. Yes, he's our apostle, the apostle, and our high priest who we confess unashamedly before the people we meet day by day. The other day I was walking past the Hope City Presbyterian Church in Clove Street, and there outside the building was advertised the theme for the evening service. And it was this, why am I still a Christian? Why am I still a Christian? The operative word there is still. Isn't it amazing that we are still Christians? If someone asked you, why are you still a Christian, what answer would you give them? Now, I know you know the answer. Wonderful answers, aren't they? God's goodness and faithfulness. But why am I still a Christian? And so I got home, and I took my Bible, and I wrote down ten reasons why I believe I'm still a Christian. And by the way, I believe in writing in all these blank places, places in your Bible. Write down things that you hear from sermons. Write down things that come to you through books. Write down things. Use this Bible to build up your faith. An unmarked Bible is a sign of a starving soul. And so I wrote down here in the back 10 reasons why I'm still a Christian. And the number one reason that came to my mind why I'm still a Christian, because the Christian's Bible is one of a kind. There's no other book that can compare with the Bible. It's our missionary book. 
It's the number one book of all books. There's no comparison. There are many kinds of religious books. Men who have started worldwide religions wrote down so-called scriptures or books and published them. We think of the Quran. We think of Buddha. We think of Confucius. We think of the Hindu scriptures. But if you read all those scriptures, you'll discover that it's all moral advice. It's all philosophical thoughts. There's no prophecies. The Bible is the only book with true prophecy. Some two and a half thousand prophecies. And over 2,000 have come true. In fact, there's some 2,500 prophecies. And nearly 80% of them come true and are coming true. You see, the Bible is the only book, no matter where you read it, the author is with you. Because I remind you that we're in his classroom this morning. And what is he doing? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, useful for teaching, for rebuking. And that comes up in our text, doesn't it? For correcting and for training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped unto all good works. And that's why the Bible to me is the number one book in the world because it was written over one and a half thousand years. I mean, what book took so long to complete? Every word of it is just what God wanted to have down written in his word, inspired by him, but yet through infallible, or fallible, I should say, human beings. But nevertheless, written over one and a half thousand years by something like 40 different authors. Many of them didn't know each other, lived at different times, lived in different places, spoke different languages. And yet, all of this comes together in a glorious whole, all speaking about God's mission to this world when he sent his son to give his life as a ransom for many. That we can truly say with Paul that the son of God loved us and gave himself for us. Therefore, the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me because he came on a mission to save me and therefore to send me on a mission that other people may have the opportunity to come to know the Lord in their lives. And so the Bible is geographically accurate, it is historically relevant, it is spiritually satisfying, because it's the book for all mission. And you'll see this as we join the disciples in the boat here, as it were, though we won't have time to look into that aspect of this message. But nevertheless, as they went out with Jesus on their journey, because they needed to go with Jesus, because he wanted to get to the other side. And so, despite encountering a devastating storm, despite encountering demon-possessed men, Jesus fulfilled his mission on that day. And so let me just take one point here, and it's this. The Lord's determined mission. Again, I'll come back to verse 18. Verse 18 of chapter 8 of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side. In other words, he was across from the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. He was going to go across in the southeastern direction, about 10 or so kilometers, to another region, which is also described as the area of 10 cities, the Decapolis. Decapolis, 10 polis means cities, 10 Greek cities. And we know it was a Greek area because there were pigs there, and they had pig farming on the go. And you don't find that in a Jewish area. And so that's where Jesus was going to go, to a Greek-speaking area on the shores of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. 
And so he's on a mission to go to that area. And despite the storm that wanted to stop him getting there, and let me just say this about that storm. That storm was a, a very unusual storm. Though they occurred regularly on the Sea of Galilee because of geographical reasons, winds used to whip up in no time. But this storm, I see a picture of it in Job when that storm, that wind hit that house where Job's children were in and all of them were killed. And who was behind that wind? It was the Satan. It was the devil. And the devil wanted to destroy and sink the kingdom of God, right here. He had Jesus and the disciples, as it were, at his mercy. And he tried to sink the whole boat and to destroy all of them. If only you could do that. And so Satan was in for the kill to try and destroy God's work on earth by sinking that fishing boat. But he did not bank on panic prayers. He did not bank on the disciples crying out to Jesus, Lord, save us. He didn't bank on Jesus standing up and rebuking him and rebuking the storm. And saying to the storm, stop, be quiet, get down, and stay down. And it did. And he was calm on the sea. Despite that storm, Jesus met these two men, these two violent men, these two demon-possessed men, who obviously had dabbled in magic and idolatry and all sorts of things in their lives. But now a legion of demons had taken possession of them. And they used to scream all day and run around the tombs all day. They tried to chain them, and every time they tried to chain them, they would break the chains, and people were scared of them and kept away from them. They were excluded from society. And yet when they saw Jesus step into the graveyard, as it were, when they saw him coming towards them, they ran towards him, and they screamed, Son of God, what are you doing here? What do you want with us? Have you come to torture us before our time? And Jesus was commanding the demons to leave them. And then the demon-possessed men said, well, if you want us to go, let the demons go into the pigs. And Jesus said, go into the pigs. And I did. And it's interesting that the demons drove the pigs into the sea, thus showing us once again they're only here to destruct things, to break things down, to destroy things, never to build things up. And so Jesus heals this man or these two men. And next thing, when the people come, they see there that the eyes is this ex-demonic man, this madman, sitting at Jesus' feet. Before he was on his feet, screaming, cutting himself, here he is sitting at Jesus' feet. Sane, in his right mind, he's dressed, he's no longer naked. And the people couldn't take this. It was too much for them. The pigs are gone, someone's lost money, and he has something, quite something I can't take here. And so they asked him to leave. Please, leave our shores. We don't want you here. But that man, we know from Mark and Luke's gospel, that one man said, I'm not going to leave you. I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, you come, don't come with us. You go back home and you go and tell the people the great things the Lord has done for you. You go and tell your family and all the people of your town and city the mercy that God has shown you. And he did. And what happened to that man? Did he achieve anything by telling people about what the Lord had done for him? What happened? Did anything happen? Well, just go on into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 29. We haven't got time to read those 10, 12, 14, 15 verses there. They are so exciting. You just read there. 
Some six, seven, nine months later, Jesus came to this very same area. And he sat down on a mountainside. Matthew loves to picture Jesus on mountainsides, doesn't he? Sermon on the Mount. Here he is again, on the Mount. And people are bringing the sick, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the dumb. They're bringing all these people to him and laying them at his feet. And Jesus healed all of them. And he taught them. And they were with him for three whole days. What a wonderful camp meeting. At the end of the third day, they've got to go home now. There's no food. They're going to faint on the way. And Jesus says to the disciples, where's the food for these men? People, we've got to give them something to eat. The disciples says, Lord, where are you going to find meat, food here? We're in the country. There's nowhere you can get food here. Well, Jesus says, what have you got? We've got seven loaves, Lord, and a few fish. Bring them to me. Jesus takes them, gives thanks to the Father, and breaks them. In other words, he breaks the limitations off that bread, and he multiplies it, and he gives it to the disciples, and they feed the crowd. And after that, Jesus dismisses them all. Why did that happen? Because that ex-demonic possessed man went in obedience over there, back to his family, back to his city, back to his people. And he told them of the mercy of God and how it's changed his life. Friends, I want to plead with you. Don't neglect your personal testimony. I know there's many ways to evangelize. There's many ways to witness. Witness. There's the four steps and the five this and this, that and the other and the Roman road. And you tell me, I know all those things, wonderful things. There's a place for those things. But there is something that can never replace. And that's your personal testimony. Give it. Share it. People cannot argue regarding your experience of Jesus Christ. They'll argue with you on theological issues, but not your experience of Jesus Christ in your life and the difference he's made in your life. Share your testimony over there, wherever the Lord wants you. Friends, it's like that woman at the well. John's, John's Gospel, chapter 4, tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Just as he had to go to the other side, he had to go through Samaria. Jewish men don't put their foot on Samaritan soil. It's dirty. Samaritan people are dogs. They are interracial. They bred with other people and all sorts of things. They're not pure. And so Jewish men never went through Samaria. It was a law. You break it at your peril. But Jesus, you see, always goes against the stream. Jesus breaks customs. Jesus, he just breaks taboos. You know, he, he does things the way the Lord says things should be done. And so he goes through Samaria, meets that woman at the well, midday. A woman who has been leading a sensual life, a woman who needs her sins forgiven, a woman who's carrying great burdens, a woman who's ostracized, married some five times, and I haven't got time to go through the wonderful discussion Jesus had with that woman in John chapter 4. And there he introduces her to living water. She's come to Jacob's well to draw normal water. But Jesus has offered her living water. Woman, if you drink of that well, you'll thirst again. I'll give you living water that you'll never thirst again. And when Jesus said to her, the one who is speaking to you am he. I am the Messiah. She left the water jar and went back into the city and gave her personal testimony. 
that the whole city came out and invited Jesus to stay with them two whole days. Three days with the other people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Here with a woman at Jacob's well, he spent two days in that city. And what happened? Even more. Some three years later, Philip, a great evangelist, had a wonderful revival meetings in Samaria after the day of Pentecost. So much so that when Peter and John came to Samaria, they laid their hands on the disciples, they received the Holy Spirit, they were born again, and the church took root. And great things happened in Samaria because the gospel has to leave Jerusalem. It has to leave Judea. It has to leave Samaria. It has to go to all countries and nations of the world because God so loved the world that he gave us his son. And so don't neglect your personal testimony. It makes great difference to people. They cannot argue with you about what the Lord has done in your life. And so this great determination that Jesus had here, this, this power, this, this thrust to go to the other side is at the very heart of Christian mission. Christian mission. Friends, we're talking about going to the other side. We talk about investing your time and money and prayers on the other side, over there. Well, let's take China as an example. Let's take China as an example. Take Gladys Aylwood. Ever heard of her? I've just read her biography, a little book called Little Woman. It's in the library there. I read it a couple of weeks ago. The Lord told her to leave England and to go to the other side of the world. Not just the other side of the lake, the other side of the world. To China. The mission board turned her down. She was told that her qualifications were too low and her education was not enough. Chinese would be too difficult for, for you to learn, my dear, so don't worry about going to China. It's not your calling. So said the mature people of the church. But she had a holy determination to get to the other side. She was going to obey the Lord. And so she went. All she had was 10 pounds and a bit of clothing and a baggage. Caught a train from England, across Holland, Belgium, Germany, right across Russia. Friends, I'm going to stop. I can't go into deeply about her life. But read her biography, you'll see how in the end she looked after some 100 orphans, walked them through rivers and over mountains to keep them safe from the Japanese invaders. Incredible story. And what's more, she learned five dialects of Chinese fluently. There was a prison. No one went near this prison. It was notoriously famous for its violent inhabitants, prisoners. But Gaddis was obedient to the Lord, and the Lord said, go to that prison. I want you to share the gospel there. And she did. Little woman, full of faith, talking to these notorious prisoners. And there was one man there who was violently anti her. And one day as he was walking past her, the Holy Spirit said, touch that man. Now, friends, you don't touch a man in China if you're a woman. Women don't touch men. Even in Jewish society, it's like that. But the Holy Spirit said, touch that man. And she did. She touched him as he went past. And he got such a shock. And suddenly all that she had taught him came back to him. That this woman would touch him of all people. 
and he became a radiant Christian for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now she went back to England, won the Chinese people there in England as well. Incredible story. As far as I'm concerned, Gladys Oberwald is in the same par as Mother Teresa. Both of them should have gotten a Nobel Peace Prize. Little woman, but giant in the faith. Take Eric Little, athlete known for his gold medal for the 400 meters at the 1924 Olympic Games. He actually trained for the 100 meters, but because it was run on a Sunday, he said, no, in principle, I will not run my race on a Sunday. Instead, he went to church and even spoke from the pulpit. And so they offered him the 400 meters, which he had not really trained for. And he said, I'll go. I'll run the race. I think it was the Monday. And just as before, he, just before he got to the starting line, someone gave him a text of scripture. And Eric read it. He honors me. I will honor, says the Lord. Well, that was enough for him to know. This was his race. And he won it. And he won, he won a gold medal for Scotland on that day. But so often that is all we think about him. He went to China. In obedience to the Lord's command, he went over there to China. And he laid down his life in Christian service there. He was imprisoned in 1943 by the Japanese, together with some children that he worked with. But unfortunately, he developed a brain tumor. And as he was lying in the hospital, outside his window one day were the children, the band of the Sunday school, and so he passed a notice across to them and said, please, will you play my favorite hymn? And it was, be still my soul, the Lord is on your side. Three days later, he died. But he was in the center of God's will. He was where God wanted him to be. And that's what matters above all. Hudson Taylor? Oh, I can't go into Hudson Taylor much, except to say that he brought hundreds of missionaries to China. He caused much prayer to be offered up for China. He even said, if I live a thousand lives, I will give them all to China. That's commitment to mission. That's the mission we God wants. He's also known for saying, God's work done God's way does not lack God's provision. Friends, as a result of all this, as a result of these three people, Gladys, Eric, and Hudson, and a long list of others who have laid down their lives in China for all the prayers, your prayers, that have gone up for China. As a result of all this, an incredible miracle has happened and is happening right now. Right now, millions and millions of missionaries are leaving China and going into 170 to 180 countries in the world in all sorts of languages to all nations, including South Africa. And these missionaries are coming to South Africa through Table Bay Harbor. Yes, Bibles. Bibles. Isn't the Bible the best missionary? It never gets sick, never needs a holiday, it never changes. Heaven and earth will pass away, said Jesus, but my words will never pass away. Recorded for us in our language. Printed in China. Sent out into the world. They come 
through Table Bay Harbor, so much so that every single official language in this country has a Bible in its language, and it's printed in China. Think of it, friends, a communist country, the biggest distributor and printer of Bibles in the world. It started in 1987, and it's increasing daily in 2023. Friends, we need to praise the Lord. We need to stop right here and give the Lord the praise and the glory for Bibles coming from a communist country. And those Bibles are reaching the people in that country. May I remind you, there are more Christians in China than people living in South Africa. And most of that production from the Amnity Bible Printing Press, that's the Bible printing press I'm talking about, the Amnity Bible Printing Press, which works with the Bible Society. And those Bibles are reaching the Christians in China. Yes, these are regulations. Yes, there are regulations. Shops are not allowed to sell them except certain Christian bookshops or church bookshops, but there are courier systems there, and those Bibles are reaching those precious Christians in China. And I've seen videos of Christians in worship services like this, and every single one of them has got a Bible on their lap as they listen to the sermon. Friends, I don't want to make you feel bad or anything like that, but friends, we may bring our coffee cups to church, but hey, <laughs> let's bring our Bibles to church. It's nice to have it up there, I know, but you can't mark it up there. You can mark it here. And please, if you see me without my Bible on Sunday, just tell me. I normally bring my New Living Translation with me, but I think I must bring my Bible. You see, you must have a Bible that you have your quiet time with, your studies with. This is my everyday Bible, this one. I've had it for about 30 years. It's not printed in China. It was printed in South Africa. <laughs> anyway, but there you are. I just thought I'd share with you because things are happening in this world today which we don't really appreciate. In fact, Amity Bible Printing Press are starting a printing press in Ethiopia right now for Bibles for Africa. 90% of the support of the Amity Bible Printing Press comes from mainline China, from businesses in China. Never mind the motor cars coming from China. Let's rejoice the Bible's coming from China. I remember when they printed... I, uh, you see... <laughs> we're talking about 25-minute sermons this now, anyway. Um, I remember when... I think it was the 200th millionth Bible was printed in Amity Bible Printing Press... You know, it's like, it's like the Ford Motor Company in Clabetha, Port Elizabeth. They celebrated their four millionth engine about two weeks ago. Four millionth engine. And then you see the engine in question with all the staff and the rejoicing and that type of thing. And when I think it was the 200th millionth Bible came with the printing press, there was that Bible. And guess what languages it was? Afrikaans. Afrikaans Bible. Friends, you ask me why I'm still a Christian? Because I serve a one-of-a-kind Savior, a one-of-a-kind God, a one-of-a-kind faith, a one-of-a-kind Bible that has been given to me and to you to be strong for the Lord and to stand firm and let nothing move you. And so I want to close by asking the question, where is your over there? Where is your over there? Where can you plant the cross of Jesus Christ? Where can you bear his cross? And live the life that only you can live through faith in Christ. 
Where is your over there? You know, it could be across the passage. It could be across the street. It could be across the Val River. It could be across the Zambi, Zambezi River, like Pastor Sunday and his wife, who are now in Lusaka. It could be across the Ganges. It could be across the Yangtze River. I don't know where your over there is. If you haven't got one, ask the Lord for one. Because someone and some place needs you. Not just personally, maybe, but certainly when it comes to prayer and finance. I trust that you'll have the determination to put your heart and your life into those people who are over there, whom the Lord is pointing you to in order for you to get involved and to reach them for the gospel's sake. I close with two quotes just to get you to help you to understand and to see this message afresh. Nina Gunter said this, if you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have anything left but the covers. Amen? Take missions out of your Bibles, all you left is with the covers. And they ain't inspired. Henry Martin, missionary to India and Persia, said this, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. How intensely missionary are you? It all depends how close you are to the Lord. Amen.